0: As a young man, I was uh, fascinated by the history of science Uh, in particular. One of the things that fascinated was how um, many new discoveries occurred through um, people making observations that just didn't fit with conventional expectations. I think possibly my favourite is the story of Ernest Rutherford's discovery of the atomic nucleus at the beginning of the 20th century. Up to that point, it had been assumed that um, atoms were sort of relatively uniform lumps of stuff. The main model has been called the, um, uh, the plum pudding model um, because it pictured, um, just like a Christmas pudding, an atom as a sort of big lump of stuff, perhaps with uh, electrons dotted around, uh, embedded in it. And Rutherford and his assistant, uh, Marsden, were firing um, particles called alpha particles at extremely thin pieces of gold foil. And they started to notice something extraordinary. They started to notice that though most of those particles just went straight through the thin gold foil, as they would expect them to, that if they moved their detector just a little bit, they found that a few of them were being deflected. And Rutherford thought this was really rather interesting. Then he says, um, in uh, the way he wrote it up, almost, almost on a whimsy, he said, tell you what, let's take the detector and r- not have it the far side of the gold foil, let's bring it back to this side and see if anything uh, is bouncing back. And amazingly... Just a few of the alpha particles were bouncing right back at them. He says, It was quite the most incredible event that has ever happened to me in my life. It was almost as incredible as if you fired a 15-inch shell at a piece of tissue paper and it came back and hit you. And Rutherford was clever enough to realise that this had to revolutionise his understanding of atoms. He needed a completely new model of the basic constituents of the universe. And he rapidly came up with a model, which is more or less the model we have now, which had a tiny, extremely dense nucleus and then vast spaces, actually, and then electrons uh, rotating around it. One observation of something anomalous had revolutionized the world of science. And I want to suggest to you this morning that something similarly unexpected happens actually with reasonable regularity in human society and it should revolutionize completely our understanding of the world. To be honest, the basic way that human society works is pretty conventional, pretty predictable. It goes like this. Parents in poverty tend to have children in poverty. Well-educated parents um, uh, get a better education for their children and they, they in turn grow up well, well-educated. Social mobility in this country, uh, and to be honest in most, most countries, is very low and very difficult to change. Some people suggest that actually, um, in Britain, the sort of social mobility that we did see in the 50s and 60s wasn't true social mobility. It was actually a great expansion of the middle classes. So some people had to move up into the middle classes, but there was no actual increase in people's intrinsic ability, on average, to change the status and the situation that they were born with. For at least the last hundred years, people have been born poor and marginalised, and ill-educated, have stayed that way generation after generation. And able, strong, forceful people have, uh, with with um, privileged circumstances, have risen, risen to the top. That's the way it is. But alongside that basic understanding of human society, something else is going on. Something actually as revolutionary as Rutherford's uh, observations about the atom. You see see it, for instance, when celebrities end up divorced or in rehab or dead early or all three. You see it when uh, the the uber-wealthy so often descend into loneliness and misery. If you watched Aviator, you'll know the story of Howard Hughes, for whom that happened. You see it, I remember a teenage friend of uh, uh, Tim's, I think it was, who went to Africa and was just astonished that in school after school and town after town, Africa was full of happy, polite well-motivated, educationally motivated young people, though they were terribly poor, and yet in school after school in this country, you have wealthy kids who are bored, disruptive, disengaged, and miserable. What's going on? That doesn't fit the conventional view of human society. Alongside the sort of conventional observations of, of human beings, there's, there's something actually else going along which, which is as dramatic as Rutherford's shell coming back from the tissue paper. What's going on? The Bible says that actually there is a God in this world who is working against the conventional patterns of society a God who reverses circumstances, a God who powerfully raises up the poor and puts down the mighty. And the Bible says that the supreme moment when that came into absolute clear focus was the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus becomes the the sort of central paradigm of that. Here's, here's a little helpless baby who will rule the world. Here, here, here's a teacher who who fought, founded no university, wrote no books, did not gather around himself great. Well educated scholars, but actually ordinary countrymen, and yet whose teaching influenced the world far more profoundly than anyone else in all of history, and indeed whose teaching was germinal for the formation of the whole of Western education, Oxford University included. Here here is a God who decides he wants to defeat his great enemy, the devil and who does it by actually taking a vulnerable human form. Indeed, actually, finally, allowing the devil, out of his malice and spite, to manipulate human beings to have him killed on a cross. But in that process, won his greatest battle and defeated Satan forever. Here is a God who works against the normal patterns of society. And that first Christmas, he was about to step into the world. That's what Mary saw. That's what she tried to put into words in this amazing song that we're going to be uh, looking at. Here is a God who turns everything upside down. Mary describes in this song a great reversal of fortunes. It's the centerpiece of the song. It's found in verses 51 to um, uh, 53, where Mary describes three great reversals of fortunes. The first of those, the first contrast is between, uh, um, we could put it, gathering and scattering, verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Scattering in a moment, but actually gathering is not immediately obvious in that text until we realize that actually the Old Testament background of those words, um, performed mighty deeds with his arms, was extremely rich. In the Old Testament, God the central place where God performed mighty deeds with his arms uh, with, with, with his arm was when He delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, when He protected them and guided them through the wilderness as they wandered for forty years, and when He finally delivered them into the promised land that, that's that's what uh, is almost always in the Old Testament writers' minds when they use those fra- that phraseology. What God did there was he brought you to myself, as he put it, as he, wrote, as he um, talked to Israel. That's what he was doing. He was taking them out of this place far from him and bringing them into his arms, performing mighty deeds to do it. He was gathering his people. And Mary says, just as he did that in old times, now that Jesus is arriving, he's doing it in in the final fullness of that idea. Not now delivering the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land, but delivering people out of all kinds of slavery. Slavery to human institutions, slavery to their own wayward hearts, slavery to sin, slavery to fear. Fear, especially in the face of death, says, says the New Testament. Slavery of all kinds, people are being delivered out of because God is through Jesus, and particularly through his death on the cross, which paid for our sins, going to bring people to himself. He is going to perform his last and greatest mighty deed in Jesus and embrace a people forever with an embrace that cannot ever be broken, either in this life or the next. He is gathering people. But here's the other thing that Mary says, and that Luke wants to make it very clear um, that he is also doing. He is scattering too. Did you see that? He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And again, this word scatter is loaded with meaning in the Old Testament. It's used by Adam and Eve's son, Cain, after he had murdered his brother and he contemplated the horror of being banished. ...from God forever, and he says in his anguish, I will be scattered. It is used of the people, all the people of the world, who gathered at Babel and tried to build uh, build themselves a great tower which would somehow rival God and set themselves up against God. And God came down, we're told, and he scattered them. It is used of Israel, when Israel, having been loved by God, actually rejected God, tried to go their own way, decided to ignore God, and so says the Bible, he scattered them into exile. And it is used, actually, of God's dealing with the nations as a whole who were used by God to scatter Israel but thought that it was their own power, their own strength, their own gods that had enabled them to do this and God says, so I scattered the nations as well. Scattering is an activity of judgment which God does again and again and again and in Jesus, he's coming to do it again, says Mary. A particular kind of person those who are proud in their inmost thoughts you know frankly i read such verses and, and and tremble more than a bit because i know what goes on in my heart my inmost thoughts and i know that those inmost thoughts are deeply dangerous Because God who sees all things scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The ordinary laws, you see, of of society actually are reversed by God. In the ordinary laws of society, those who are proud and self-confident and self-assertive, by and large, they rise to the top. And you'll see that again happening again and again and again, like those alpha particles going predictably straight through that gold foil. But here is a God who actually reverses those rules again and again and again. and brings them down. If we find in our hearts saying, I will push others aside, I will achieve my own goals at any cost, like Cain, we hear you will be scattered. If we say together with the people who gathered at the Tower of Babel, I'm going to get together with a whole load of people and I'm going to set myself up against God, we must hear the words, you will be scattered. If we, like Israel, say, actually, look, I'm in church. Look, I'm doing, leading a good life. Up to a point? Don't trouble me with actually real, deep, humble obedience and faith. Like Israel, we must hear the words, you will be scattered. If we, like Israel, The nations of old are rejoicing that at last this land is having the last vestiges of Christianity sort of wiped away from it and finally people will be free from that horrible, oppressive God of the Christians. Then we will hear you will be scattered. That is the message of Mary's song. But if you're someone who says, I want to know this God. I am fascinated by this Jesus. And the promise is, he has a mighty arm. He brought Israel to himself and he can bring you to himself. No word of God. Verse 37 it was. No word of God. And fail. First contrast, then, gathering and scattering. Second contrast, bringing down and lifting up. And it is reinforcing the same basic ideas. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. If the first, la- the first pair was the language of warfare, really, the, the mighty arm of God and scattering is all warfare, This second pair is the language of politics. God brings down every ruler who sets himself up against him. Communism was always going to fall, though for a while it looked impregnable. Middle Eastern totalitarianism was always going to fall. So with every other regime that sets itself up against God, Chinese authoritarianism, Western ideological capitalism even, will fall. All of these projects of man, God finally brings down. They seem so invincible at the time. But remember the power of Rome when Mary spoke. As one wag put it, Today, people worship Jesus and call their dog Caesar. He puts down the proud. And he lifts up the humble. Mary's amazed that he's done that for her. But then God will do that for humble Jesus. Lifting him up. Finally, on the cross, lifting him up even from the grave and exalting him to his own right hand so that millions upon millions will worship him. And that is what he does for all those who humble themselves under him. That's completely contrary to our society. You know, Oxford is full of famous names. Uh, There was only one British Prime Minister since the war who was not educated at Oxford. Isn't that amazing? The role of honour of people from Oxford is astonishing. But actually, I suspect that very, very few, if any, of the world's role of honour from Oxford will appear in God's role of honour. Please God, God's role of honour will include all kinds of people from Oxford who were simply not noticed by the world. But they humbly served Jesus. They humbly followed him. They humbly sought his forgiveness. They humbly put their faith in him. And they will be lifted up in eternity. First contrast gathering and scattering. Second contrast bringing down, lifting up. Third contrast filling and emptying. Verse. 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away uh, uh, empty. Language of warfare, language of politics, and now the language of economics. The hunger that he describes there is not just having an empty stomach. It is about a general sense of being in want. He has filled those who are in want, in need. That is how God works. And of course, there's plenty of conventional stuff going on. Mary is not denying that. There there will be plenty of rich people who will be bloated with food and presents this Christmas. But she has Rutherford's eyes. She can see what else is going on in this world which completely revolutionizes our understanding of the world. She sees, actually, how so many who are self-confident and confident in their own money and their own status and their own possessions find themselves completely empty and they cannot explain it. And she sees... Poor people finding the living God, being cared for by the people of God, having their lives put in order so that they're now able to earn a living and finding that God supplies their needs through others and indeed through their own restored lives again and again and again. And what happens occasionally as the odd um, alpha particle bouncing back will be the only characteristic of the new creation. When God makes his world anew, he will only gather his faithful people, he will only lift up the humble, he will only feed those who express their need. Now, if if you're not yet a Christian, uh, I want to say to you, can you see that those anomalous things happening? Have you noticed the pop stars and the misery that they have, for instance, so often? Have you seen, actually, in ordinary, humble Christians the ones that you know, have you seen that contentment, that sense of being filled, that sense of being lifted up in them? Because if you have, you've seen the characteristic way that God works in this world. And I want to say to you, align yourself with that. Follow this baby Jesus who will be lifted up and is lifted up as the ruler of the whole world. And if you are a Christian and that is, that, that, that is something that is, you've already processed and you've already thought about, then I want to say um, we need to be warned by this text. But more than anything else, we need to be encouraged as you have put your faith in Jesus, who seems so weak right here in Luke 1, and so inconsequential with a mother who is so such a nobody, but as you put your faith in him, you have become impregnable. He will gather you. You up. He will fill you with good things. Christmas is the most extraordinary time to rejoice. Why does God do that? Why does God do all this reversing? Well, Mary, Mary sandwiches around that heart um, uh, a couple of statements which ex- explain why God does it. He does it, first of all, because of his mercy, verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He helped Israel in the Old Testament, not because they were great, he says, but because they were small. Not because they were somehow content and looked attractive to him, but but because they were terribly discontent and crying out to him. Not because they were good, but because they were wallowing in their sin. And he had mercy on them, and and he called them to himself. And that is the way that he deals with people in every generation. He is a God of mercy. And the way to come to him is to throw ourselves uh, on his mercy. And he is a God, the other side of the sandwich, who not only is merciful, but he is faithful. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, there it is again, but now look how it goes on, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Why does Abraham feature here? Because Abraham received promises that he would be the the, the, the father, so to speak, of innumerable offspring from every tribe and nation on the earth. And Luke 1 37 no word of God will fail. Northern Road Church is the creation of God because of his mercy and his faithfulness to Abraham. You are the, are the, the product of God because of, his, uh, of God's mercy and his, uh, his faithfulness to Abraham if you are a believer here. It is his mercy. We can bring nothing to it. As uh, the old uh, Archbishop William Temple used to say, we we contribute nothing to our salvation except our sin. And it is his faithfulness. You know, uh, uh, when God took Abraham outside... 4,000 years ago, showed him the night sky and all the innumerable stars and promised him that his descendants would be as innumerable as the stars in the sky. Abraham couldn't number them, those stars, but God could. And God also had the number of his people. Indeed, he had you in his mind 4,000 years ago. And when he made that promise to Abraham, it was a promise about you. And God's word does not fail. If you're a believer here, and you are the product of God's mercy, all that qualifies you is to call on that mercy. You are the product of God's faithfulness. And if you're not, then you can come in and join that throng as you join those who seek the God of mercy. There's nothing you can bring. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't make yourself big enough. You can't make yourself pretty enough. I'm the living proof of that. You call on God's mercy. And look what it does to people who see that and receive that good news. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It fills such people with praise with a sense of happiness that, that cannot help but bubble up. Though we live in a fallen world and there is groaning and there is mourning, there is a sense of happiness and a desire to do something quite particular. It's called the Magnificat, this song, because in the Latin, that's how it begins. It's a word, Magnificat, which means to make great. You know, he's translated it my... Um, Soul glorifies the Lord, but you could say my soul makes the Lord great. That is what she wants to do. She knows now she exists to make Jesus and God look great. And there is a deep satisfaction and joy in that. We point people away to him and we find a deep pleasure and joy from doing it. She's filled with praise then and a desire to make Jesus look great. And she has discovered that she is filled with dignity too. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What a privilege. Some people, some traditions call her the queen of heaven and that may be overstating it slightly but she has a special place but for one particular reason that she can point people to Jesus in a more focused way than anyone else could she's his mother and she does that. This, then, this Christmas message is a message which revolutionises our understanding of the world. It is far, far more revolutionary than Rutherford's discovery. Because it shows us a God who works completely opposite to the conventions of human society. In Jesus And in eternity. Will you follow it? If we do. It is a message which gives us joy and dignity in this world. Because we've learned to magnify Jesus. This Christmas there will be lots of toxic things as we were told, lots of things that don't become us and aren't much fun. But my prayer for each one of us here is that this Christmas there will be a true joy of seeing this, knowing this revolution that Jesus achieves and knowing that it was for me.